We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I still cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, Kyle Madsen of NinersWire.com and 95.7 The Game in the Bay Area. Kyle, what's up? Oh, hanging out, trying to get as much done as humanly possible in a world where it's nigh impossible to get things done outside the house. Yeah, still in quarantine, going on uh, going on close to a month now for me, yep. I think. Um, sort of losing track of, of the days, getting pretty tired of the inside of my house. But um, honestly, like it's rough, but it's good knowing that we're trying to stay safe and uh, not contribute to the spread of the COVID-19 during this pandemic and all that. So fortunately, we are in a pretty busy time of the year, like you mentioned, Kyle, with the NFL draft coming up. Uh, we're inside of what, two weeks? Inside of three weeks, almost. Inside of three weeks, yeah. 
Yeah, inside of three weeks until the NFL draft. Um, So we are going to talk a little bit about that. But one thing that we have to mention, the NFL announced that the draft is going to be virtual. Um, Which, if, (laughs) if teams around the league have the same internet issues that you and I have had trying to record this podcast in recent Yikes. weeks. It could be really problematic. Um, and, you know, I don't know what the deal is. I, I think, uh, I don't know if my internet provider has uh, been struggling with the bandwidth around here. I live in a residential area, obviously, and since so many people are home, maybe um, that's sort of choking the speeds that we got. But I'm wondering if that's going to happen with NFL teams with various power brokers and decision makers around the country really working out of their offices or their basement in some cases. I know uh, John Harbaugh, the coach of the Ravens, went on TV today. I think I saw this on NFL Live on ESPN when he said, like, he's hitting up his IT people because he's worried about information getting hacked um, by having this draft at, you know, having it uh, virtual and everybody being online and, and doing it, I would assume, by you know, via video conference like Zoom or something else. Um, you have any thoughts on on how this sort of virtual draft could impact things, if at all? Yeah, I, I, I don't really, I don't really know. Like, what? I'm sure the league has contingency plans in place in the event that somebody's internet craps out on them, right? Like, they used to have drafts without internet. Like before they were all televised, like I would imagine phones still work. Yeah, I think I think that that's a thing. So <laughs> the telephone, I'm, I I have no I have no reservations about it. Just in terms of of how the draft is going to operate, because I think that the league wouldn't do it this way if they didn't have plans a through z all squared away right i'm fascinated by how it looks on tv yeah like if roger goodell is in his living room announcing picks that would be i mean that would be great television no matter how you feel about goodell like just just the fact that he would be like in his home somewhere um, in a suit (laughs) in a suit announcing picks and then you're gonna get all sorts of different uh different looks at like guys in their houses with their families it could be that like some prospect is getting drafted and they have a camera on him and it's like just him and his dog, uh, which <laughs> which would be funny. It'll be interesting to see how all that um, is set up. I do wonder if if it's going to be more difficult to trade because a war room during a typical draft can be a very hectic place where there can be like 20 or 30 people in there at once. And I know the 49ers have a bunch of scouts in there. Um, obviously, all the the heads of the personnel department, um, coaches, ownership, everybody's in there. And then somebody like Parag Marate has a bunch of different phone calls going at once, trying to wheel and deal trades. And, um, you know, somebody's on the phone with somebody in the league as they're making picks. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how this all works out. And I do wonder if there's going to be fewer trades made during the draft or at least negotiated during the draft it could be something where there are going to be a lot of trades that are sort of agreed upon beforehand uh which happened with the 49ers and the bears in 2017 when they moved back one spot uh and still snag solomon thomas while the while the bears got mitch trubisky 
But um, that was something that was agreed to leading up to the draft. And a number of trades typically are, but there are some trades that happen sort of in the spur of the moment. And you wonder if there are going to be fewer of those. So I'm curious to see what it's going to look like. And it could be pretty problematic for the 49ers, given that they only have those first two first round picks and then don't pick again aren't slated to pick again until rounds two or uh, sorry they don't have picks rounds two three and four and won't pick again until round five as things are currently constructed which means this is probably a scenario for them where they have to execute multiple trades to get all the draft picks that they would need presumably to continue uh you know replenishing the roster in the middle rounds where they've had a bunch of success in in these recent years since Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch sort of took the took the reins in 2017 so that's interesting. There's not a whole lot going on otherwise. Um, I've I've remember that C.D. Lamb take that I've been marinating on that that we've talked a little bit about um, that I've alluded to. I, I think I'm good. I, I'm I'm comfortable enough with my C.D. Lamb take that I'm that I'm ready to to spew it to the masses um, or whoever listens to this podcast. And I have cool. a mailbag coming out for the sack beyond Wednesday, uh, where somebody just asked me straight up like Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb. And so um, I wrote down my thoughts there, but I think I'm going to talk about it, uh, talk about it here in this episode. Uh, we're going to we're going to try to keep this brief. We're going to have four more episodes of this podcast before the draft starts um, April 23rd. But do you have uh, do you have any any thoughts on C.D. Lamb versus Jerry Judy before I get going on, on my take, my white hot smoking take? I think Jerry Judy is pretty pretty widely the best receiver in this draft just in terms of like I think I I I don't want to take away from what CD Lamb did at Oklahoma because he was really good and and every week there was if you if you flipped on an Oklahoma game for even 10 minutes you'd get probably an incredible play or two from from Lamb but just when you watch the two of them back and you start watching it uh, in the scope of of the NFL. I still think I, I I think Lamb is still a really good prospect, but I just think Judy is is kind of uh, leaps and bounds ahead of him in terms of what he brings to an NFL offense. Yeah, so I know a lot of people and a lot of very smart NFL people who I respect, and uh, a lot of content people who I respect who think Ceedee Lamb is the best player in this draft, and I'm not. I don't know who's going to be a better pro because there are a lot of different variables that are involved with that, where they land, who's their quarterback, what scheme they're running, who's coaching um, injuries, all of that kind of stuff impacts how pro prolific or productive a, a career you have once you get drafted in the NFL. But I think um, after spending some time watching and reading and studying and looking at Kyle Shanahan's history, when it comes to the receiver position, I think it's really obvious that, Jerry Judy is a much better fit for the 49ers than CD Lamb. And I think it starts with route running um, and the ability to separate. Not that Lamb can't do that, but Gil Brandt, um, a longtime scout and, and talent evaluator who's worked in front offices and now with the media, he was uh, quoted by Peter King in Football Morning in, in America this week. Um, and he compared CD Lamb to Des Bryant which really stuck to me stuck with me because I that like I think Lamb is the type of player who's 
physical at the catch point, not maybe an elusive route runner, maybe good enough. But I think a, uh, a lot about I, th- I think the Des Bryant thing is really, really fitting. And he's somebody who's physical, who's good with the ball in his hands after the catch, a lot like Lamb. And I remember when Des Bryant was, you know, sort of available, I guess, what, 2017 um, when he was on the outs with the Cowboys. I think that's the year it was. And Niner fans would, you know, ask me and all my mailbags and all that, like Niners should get Des Bryant. They need a red zone target. They're bad in the red zone, et cetera, et cetera. Starting to like... Go ahead. I said that tracks. <laughs> so like to and asking, you know, talking to different players about what sort of skills are needed to run Kyle's offense. Um, Des Bryant was never a fit. And I know Lamb is not the same athlete as Bryant, and I'm sure Kyle Shanahan is smart enough to figure out ways to make it work. But like I said in the last podcast when we were talking with Eric Crocker, who gave a a, a bunch of really uh, brilliant breakdowns of, of receivers, both on our pod, and he's been doing it on Twitter. Um, but I, I see sort of the addition of Lamb as sim- too similar to what Debo Samuel already brings. And you don't have, with Lamb and Samuel on the field at once, you don't have really a deep element to stretch defenses and, and create space underneath and maybe create space for the running game. Whereas Judy, you know, you talk to people, um, talent, talent evaluator, avail- easy for me to say, talent evaluators in the I league mean- have... You know, they they believe that Judy is maybe the best route runner since Odell Beckham Jr. or Chad Johnson. Um, and to me, you just look at the type of receiver that excels in the league right now. I know, you know, somebody like Chris Sims said uh, when you're looking at first round receivers, you're really valuing traits. Well, going through the most uh, productive pass catchers from last season, particularly at receiver, it's like these dudes aren't like you know, sparked up. They're not, they're not like total traits guys. They're, they're route runners. Like Michael Thomas was a second round pick because he's not very fast. Um, and he had 1700 yards last year and has been one of the best, uh, one of the best players in the league. Like half of the guys, half of the top 11, uh, most productive receivers last year ran faster than a four or five. It's also, it's also important to note here when looking at 40 times, you can shave time off your 40 just by like getting a better start. Right. So the 40 is not the be all and end all of, of speed, which I think is an important thing here because so many people go, Oh, he's not as fast as I thought. Look at this 40 time. Like maybe he just sucks at running forties. Right. Keep going. And, and during the combine, I, I, I looked it up and tweeted it out. Like here are the top, top 11, uh, most productive receivers in terms of yardage and they're 40 times before the draft. You have Michael Thomas second round pick. He dropped because he wasn't an elite elite traits guy. Well, now he's the best receiver in the league. Uh, he ran a four, five, seven Julio Jones is probably the biggest freak in the league at the position. And maybe the biggest freak since Calvin Johnson, uh, he ran a four, three, four. So he's an outlier. Chris Godwin, four, four, two fast, but also a third round pick really good route runner. Devonte Parker was a first round pick who was largely viewed as a bust in his first few seasons. He ran a 4-4-5. Keenan Allen, who's one of the best route runners in the league and an absolute technician for the Chargers, he ran a 4-7-1 before getting drafted in the third round. Kenny Galladay of the Lions, 4-5-0. Oh. 
Amari Cooper, another top 10 pick, obviously, 4-4-2. DJ Moore, first-round pick, 4-4-2. Jarvis Landry, 4-5-8. DeAndre Hopkins, like Michael Thomas, 4-5-7. And your guy, Cooper Cup. Uh, Love four, Cooper Cup. 4-6-2. So those were the top receivers in terms of, like, production. And so it's funny to me to see somebody like Chris Sims say, well, you know, I in the first round, I look for traits and speed being being one of them and then saying you know jerry judy doesn't have those traits well judy ran a 445 so he's well within the range it's not like he's slow um he is an elite route runner like you watch him break guys off it is very clear that he has special abilities in, in terms of that part of his game and then you know people look at the idea well oh he didn't run a three cone so maybe he's not uh, a fit for kyle shanahan who you know if you look at his history of the 10 receivers he's drafted since becoming a coordinator in 2008, all those guys are around seven seconds or faster when it comes to the three cone. And for whatever reason, Judy didn't run a three cone. Um, and he was really slow in the 20 yard shuttle, which I, I admittedly need to go back and, and try to find video of that 20 yard shuttle because I'm assuming something happened because if you're as elite, uh, you know, you have elite quickness and, and somebody who can change direction, which I think Judy does when you watch him play uh, for him to run in like the fifth percentile on the 20 yard shuttle makes me think it's an outlier and, and something happened like he slipped or he was, you know, dealing with an injury or didn't run full speed or whatever. Um, but ultimately, I'm not even worried about that. And I think Jerry Judy is sort of the perfect route runner, somebody who can threaten all three levels of the field which is what the 49ers asked of Emmanuel Sanders last year. Whereas CeeDee Lamb is somebody who you sort of have to get creative with in, in ways that replicate what Debo Samuel already is for the offense. So if you're looking for somebody to stretch the field and be sort of that go-to downfield passing threat, I definitely think it's Jerry Judy within the scope of Kyle Shanahan's offense, whereas CeeDee Lamb might go somewhere uh, with, with an offensive staff caring less about route running and, and more about physicality and giving that offense what Des Bryant did for the Cowboys um, back when he was playing. And I would even go as far as saying, and I, I think I've said this before too, but like I think Henry Ruggs would be a better fit, a much better fit than CeeDee Lamb, particularly with the personnel the 49ers already have on offense. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if CeeDee Lamb were on the board even with as how badly the 49ers need a receiver, this is a deep class. They can address the position elsewhere. Like if Lamb's on the board and, and Judy and or Ruggs are off the board at 13, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the 49ers just completely went a different direction in terms of position, whether it be, you know, offensive tackle, de defensive tackle with Javon Kinlaw or Derek Brown. Um, so just in my opinion, going, th going through it all, I just don't see CeeDee Lamb as as the natural fit for what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. And I think that's evident in just watching them play. And it's evident in, in looking at the type of players that Kyle Shanahan has drafted since becoming a coordinator in the league in 2008. And we can go through that list. Um, I made it, I actually made it and, and updated it today, but I made it a few years ago because I did a, a piece for the athletic looking at, um, you know, Shanahan's history and, and the type of players he drafts. Like, he doesn't draft big bodied guys like the only big bodied receiver Shanahan has drafted has been Jalen Hurd and Hurd is 
probably going to move to tight end at some point if and when he gets back into the mix. And so I don't even know if he counts, you know, <laughs> in terms sure. of like, yeah. And, uh, and, and there were reports, you know, the NFL network reported and, and I don't know how accurate this is because sometimes numbers from pro days, um, can be, can be juiced a little bit, uh, because it's, you know, that, that program juicing the books, trying to make their, uh, trying to make their prospect look better. But Jalen Hurd ran a 6.6 in the three cone and had a 40 inch vertical at whatever, 6'4", 220 pounds. Um, so those are elite, elite traits, uh, which is more indicative of what Shanahan is looking for as opposed to, you know, somebody like Lamb who, you know, might thrive in the right scheme and might end up being a better pro, but I just don't see Shanahan altering his offense and replacing somebody who was a really good route runner and downfield threat like Emmanuel Sanders with a big-bodied guy who you have to be um, a little bit more conservative with in terms of how you use them in the passing game, if all of that makes sense. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing left to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live, daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online for your quarantine needs. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, I, I agree with it for the most part. I think I like Lamb a little bit more than than you do. And if the Niners take him, I, I think I think it would be fine. I, I think that their receiving core will will be good enough to to make another deep playoff run. But I also think because of the depth of the receiver and the the receivers in this class and all the things that, that you just mentioned about Lamb and his fit and his skill set. If he's, if if let's say Jerry Judy and and Henry Ruggs go eleven and twelve, and the Niners are on the board at thirteen, I could see them either trading back or trying to trade back a couple of spots, or, uh, just going a, a completely different route entirely, rather than just trying to force a receiver at that thirteen spot. Maybe they go with Javon Kinlaw out of out of South Carolina or or they take a cornerback or just go with the best player available and figure it out later and then take a receiver a little bit later on. That That's what's going to be interesting to me is what happens if Ruggs and Judy are both off the board and maybe maybe the Niners see something with Lamb that 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 we've missed here and they, they sprint to the podium and they're, and they're psyched to have him. But I, I imagine that if he's the the top receiver on the board at 13, they they don't go with that position at that spot and try and get better value later on. Yeah, let's let's just like look at, you know, Kyle Shanahan's drafted what one, two, he's drafted five receivers mm-hmm. um, since coming to the 49ers. Trent Taylor, Dante Pettis, Richie James, Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd. Um, 
Pettis never ran a recorded three cone, so we don't really know what that time would have been. But uh, Trent Taylor, obviously really good at changing directions, six seven four three cone. Richie James, a six eight seven three cone. Debo Samuel, a seven point oh three three cone. And like I said, Jalen Hurd, a six point six, reportedly a six point six at six four two hundred twenty pounds. Wild. Um, and you know, like going back, you look at, um. You know, Leonard Hankerson is, uh, aside from Hurd, is probably the biggest guy Shanahan drafted, and that was with Washington in 2011. 6'2", 209 pounds, 4'4", guy. Aldrick Robinson, 5'10", 184. Justin Hardy, 5'10", 192. Um, Devin Fuller, 6'1", 194. 4'3", guy. Like, nothing that Shanahan has done in terms of the receivers he's added would indicate that CD lamb is the type of guy that he likes. And that's not to say that he won't Shanahan has said before, like you can separate a bunch of different ways. It's not all about speed and route running um, and precision cutting and all of those things. You can create separation by being able to jump over everybody. Uh, and maybe that's what CD lamb can do. Um, and, you know, we talk about that contested catch ability and, and what he could do there. I just think in terms of the likelihood of 49ers decisions that they go like fit is extremely important. Um, one of the reasons why Debo Samuel was so good was because he was such an ideal fit. And it was apparent at the senior bowl when you saw Samuel run some of those one on one drills against cornerbacks, just his ability to create like five yards of separation from guys just with his route running and and that was apparent near the red zone. And then you watch him play more and more and you see, wow, he's really crazy with the ball in his hands. And then you see him actually running Shanahan's offense. Not only can he separate on the short and intermediate routes, but he can also just be a devastating runner with the ball in his hands. If it's schemed up properly, which Shanahan became really good at. Um, So I just don't know to me. I mean, I just don't see the fit there. So that's just my opinion. And, you know, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, but I think I have a pretty decent grasp on what Shanahan likes and and what he values in the position. And to me, the two guys that really stand out in terms of fit for his offense at 13 are Judy and Ruggs and not Lamb. I think Lamb is, is, is just, a, you know, I don't want to say like trying to fit a, a square peg in a, in a round hole or anything, but I just don't see I just don't see it as being a natural fit. And I think at this point with your championship window wide open with no offseason program, uh, you want to find the, the most seamless fit possible. And uh, and so that to me is why I think it's it's Judy or Ruggs instead of Lamb. Now, what I the other the other thing that I'm intrigued by is. When you talk about Lamb and him offering a lot of the same skill set that Debo Samuel does, I think that's also true for a guy like Jalen Rigor or Brandon Ayuk from ASU. Rigor goes to or went to TCU. LaVisca Chenault from Colorado. I think there's a lot of guys just kind of in that in that Debo Samuel vein. Uh, Rieger's the only one who did a lot of the same stuff that Samuel did in, in college, just in terms of, of running and pass catching. But I think a lot of those guys just all have those similar skill sets. So this, this receiver class is deep, but I think uh, like you're kind of alluding to here, I think there's probably like two or three guys, maybe Justin Jefferson from, 
from LSU is a, is another guy who kind of fits that that Niners mold. Yeah, like, I totally agree. Uh, I just I, I wonder when we, you know we talk about the depth of the receiving class. Now I'm kind of second guessing that on the fly here and wondering if you know it's a deep class, but with what the Niners need specifically, it might only be like two or three guys deep. Right, right, and that that's what I think people you know, don't really take into account when you say, oh, this team needs a corner, just take the best corner available. Well, if you're not putting that player in a position to maximize his strengths right. and do what he's good at, then ultimately you're wasting a pick. Something the Niners have been very good at over the last couple of years. Yeah, Shanahan has a very clear idea of what he's looking for. And so conveying that to the coaching staff and the personnel department has been... Um, you know, their ability to do that successfully has been one of the key reasons why they've rebuilt this roster from a two and 14 team to a team that went to yeah. the Super Bowl last year. Um, one more point, And, you know, I guess this applies to lamb, but also a bunch of other guys in the class, like Denzel Mims and, and Jalen Rager, like you mentioned, you go through the top receivers from the NFL last year. Uh, and this is just top pass catchers. So this includes tight ends. Um, you have to go 22 players deep, 22 pass catchers deep before you get to a player that played in the Big 12. Uh, and that player is Tyler Lockett, who had uh, 1,057 yards and eight touchdowns last year. So obviously Lockett's a really good player. Yeah. But the reason why I looked this up was because just watching CeeDee Lamb, it's like, Everything he did seemed very easy, and a lot of that was because of Lincoln Riley's scheme and his ability to find open space for his guys, which isn't a fault of CeeDee Lambs, but there wasn't much press coverage. There wasn't a whole lot of man-to-man. He didn't have to beat physical corners um, like he will in the NFL, and so you just look at his production, like a lot of it is him just like running straight downfield, like through open spaces making a relatively easy catch and and running through a bunch of really poor tacklers. And so, you know, my, it, it's not that I don't think any Big 12 receiver can be elite in the league. Um, obviously, there have been some, but I... Not a I, lot. Yeah, I, I just think it's it's interesting that you have to go all the way down, 22 players deep, to find Tyler Lockett, to to find the leading pass catcher in the league last year, uh, from a Big 12 school. So, you know, I don't know that that necessarily means Rager isn't going to be good or Denzel Mims isn't going to be good or Lamb's not going to be good. I just think that, you know, you you hear Kyle Shanahan talk about evaluating receiver prospects and the fact that it's difficult because so many of these guys don't face anything like an NFL defense in college um, because it's all spread out. It's all zone-based stuff. A lot of the reads from quarterbacks are predetermined. Um, there isn't a whole lot of nuance. It's not like there's a ton of option routes where you have to evaluate the coverage post-snap and then based on what you see, break the right direction, inside or outside, based on you know where which, which side the linebacker's leveraging. And hopefully the quarterback sees the same thing, so you're on the same page and you can execute that route. Like, there's a lot, there's a very, very steep transition from... The, from going against those type of defenses as a receiver to jumping into the NFL. And right. I think the fact that you have to go 22 pass catchers deep to find the leading, the leading pass catcher from a big 12 school 
gives me a little bit of pause. It's like, I, I don't think there's a direct correlation necessarily in terms of, you know, sort of struggling or whatever from, um, from the big 12 to NFL defenses. But I think there's like, I mean, I think there's definitely something to it. Sure. Because you look at it, it's like Michael Thomas, big 10, Julio Jones, SEC, Chris Godwin, big, big 10, um, you know, Devontae Parker, ACC, Keenan Allen, Pac-12, Kenny Galladay, I think went to Eastern Illinois or something like that. Uh, Amari Cooper, SEC, DJ Moore, ACC, or actually Big 12, Big Big 10, sorry. Jarvis Landry, SEC, DeAndre Hopkins, ACC. Um, you know, Mike Evans, Kenny Galladay ACC. went to Northern Illinois and also Northern, Northern Illinois. Illinois. My mistake. Um, anyway, there's uh, there just aren't many productive players from uh, from Big 12 schools. So I think that's interesting and some something that we do need to consider, although a lot of Big 12 offenses now, a lot of those concepts are being adapted into the league and, you know, particularly with the Chiefs, right? Like they do yeah. a lot of Big 12 stuff and, and that's a credit to Andy Reid because he is Patrick Mahomes and all that. But um, yeah, that's sort of my that's that's where I stand. And maybe CeeDee Lamb is going to come in and be a complete monster and right. uh, I'll be on record looking like a dumbass, which has happened before plenty of times. But what? Uh, that's just uh, <laughs> yeah. it's my take. It's my take, and I'm sticking to it. I wonder at what point the Niners, like you look at what the Chiefs do, and I know that their offenses aren't identical, so it's not a it's not a one for one kind of match here. But I wonder at some point if the 49ers just start going kind of the route of of the Chiefs and just going. Uh, we're going to get as many really good athletes as possible and then figure out how to get them the ball in space. Yeah. It's what they do with Michael Hardman. It's what they do with Tyreek Hill and having athletes like that just completely warps what a defense would, would normally do. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, maybe they, maybe they look at lamb and, and see a guy who just, uh is gonna is gonna go make plays with with the space provided to him I, I i'm i'm not super optimistic that that's that that's gonna be the case and how they're gonna view it but if if they do wind up selecting him i think that'll be the kind of talking point is is he's great in space and there's not a lot of better coaches doing it uh designing space there's not a lot of better coaches scheming open space than than shanahan right now yeah it would ju- it would be interesting to see how he would do it yeah. because like the way Shanahan talked about Emmanuel Sanders was like he is the perfect guy um and Sanders yeah. is nothing like CeeDee Lamb as a as a receiver so yeah. there there would have to be an adjustment there um which would be interesting but that's not to say Shanahan can't do it there have been subtle evolutions of his offense uh in all three seasons since uh you know since taking the job so it yeah. could change. They could just have drastically different plans and, um, and you know, adjust on the fly in, in what's going to be a very funky offseason. So any other uh, quarantine? Well, you're, you're not as quarantined as, as I am. Any other, no, any other just life thoughts, content thoughts, internet thoughts? I'm weirdly, like, like normal for the most part right now i'm still going to work (laughs) um just kind of i don't know my my life at home is obviously different just in terms of being able to you know go out to dinner or go to the grocery store normally but yeah i don't i don't 
really have a lot. Just do you have trying a, to get through it. Do you have like a, a fancy mask, a stylish mask? No, I just have an R95. Okay. <laughs> just like one of the painter's masks. Nice. Yeah, uh, I do too. Yeah, I just, um, no, just I'm, I'm less optimistic today. I've, I've decided to do away with optimism in terms of when this is all going to end. I I was for a while just kind of riding the train. I never thought that like Easter uh, was was realistic really at any point. No, you weren't buying that? No, uh, surprisingly. <laughs> um, but I, I never thought that that was going to be the case. But I was going, OK, you know, maybe maybe June one we'll have we'll have sports back to normal. It's like, nah, June, June. I, I'm I'm done with that idea. And I, I just. Like I said, I'm not like negative about it, but I just don't think it's realistic to sit there and try and go like baseball. MLB proposed having a having a season start in May with all these weird quirks and all the games are in Arizona and they play double and triple headers and all that. I just don't think that that's realistic. And my my optimism that we're going to get football on any kind of normal schedule is has gone completely out the window. Yeah, the, the thing is. Um, until there's wide range testing, then it's going to be impossible to open things up and, and have it be as it was. And, and that's not even, I'm not even talking about like public gatherings. I'm talking about getting players back in the building and, and starting to do football things like, you know, have meetings and have, you know, 90 guys in one room, um, and then get getting out on the practice field. And, and obviously, you know, tests are needed for, for people who are dealing with, uh, with, with severe symptoms and, and who are having actual health issues. Um, and until there's a wide range, a, a, a wide array of, of tests that we can give people, um, to where it's not detrimental to people needing those tests and needing treatment, uh, it, it would seem like it's impossible. And now look, we're recording this what the second week of August and April, April. Wow. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> uh, training camp starts in, in late July or, or early August T- in a typical season. Like it wouldn't surprise me at all. If the league just said, Hey, we're going to have a 12 game season. We're going to start in October and we're going to, um, we're going to start training camp at the end of August and, and use September as our training camp month, because maybe then we will have, uh, we will have the ability to test all of the players frequently to avoid, you know, somebody bringing, uh, COVID-19 into the locker room or something like that. And obviously that would be, that would be the worst case scenario, but I, I, I don't, you know, I don't love the idea of speculating about it because I, I don't know enough. Um, but yeah, like I'm I'm just like you in that I'm leery of of everything starting on time. I I don't think we're going to end up getting uh basketball season back this year. I think they're probably just going to punt on it and and start like they normally would in in October. Um obviously the same for for the NHL most likely. Um and then, you know, baseball, I have no idea, but it sounds like to me, I think July might might be the earliest in terms of you know, having baseball like we normally would. And then at that point, we're talking about a three month regular season for baseball. I mean, this is all very crazy and we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But uh, the important thing is, is that everybody's safe. Um, everybody's healthy. Everybody stays inside. Uh, and staying at home is working. 
Staying at home is working. That's a very good point. I'm glad you said that because um, Santa Clara, Santa Clara County, where I live, when this thing first broke out, uh, we had a spike in numbers and, and we were among the, you know, the most had the most cases in the state and, and um, I think per capita in the country because so many people travel and and there's so many, you know, big tech companies where so many people are congregated together. But um, since the Bay Area has taken this this uh, shelter in place thing really seriously, um, their numbers are going down and they are uh, flattening the curve a little bit. So that's really good to hear. That's really promising. Hey, Unfortunately, it's not that way throughout the entire country. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I'm happy everybody is doing what they can to, to help this situation and and look, this you know the the more we stay inside, the more the quicker we can get sports back. Right, and um, also if if just just this is a little sidebar here, if you are a person who looks at California's curve starting to flatten a little bit, uh, we don't have enough kind of data to really say that it is, but it looks like it's trending that direction, uh, where it's going to start to flatten consistently here. Uh if all the numbers fall short of the models that were put out at the start of all this, it's not that the models were wrong. It's that social distancing worked. Um, and I've, I've seen that already in response to um, like California didn't have a, didn't have a double digit increase in cases. Uh, and I just saw a bunch of like responses, like, see, this is all a big joke. Like, no, it, it wasn't. <laughs> Uh, it's just that it got taken seriously and the attempts to to stop the the spread or slow down the spread, I should say, are are working properly. Yeah. And that's uh, that's really, really important. So um, in uh, in other news, somewhat somewhat related news. I know I told you this, but I haven't I haven't said it on the pod, but I've, I've started watching Friday Night Lights. Mm which is a, a show about football. Um, and it's really good. I'm really enjoying it. I haven't watched it before. And uh, and I'm I'm usually not like a TV drama person, like a network TV drama person. Usually that, that stuff is pretty bad. But Friday Night Lights, really good show. Um, I realized that I, I was missing something without having Friday Night Lights make a Kelly in my life, um, mm. which I'm not going to expound upon any more than that. But Me um, neither. Yeah, that's my that's my content update. That's what I'm doing at the moment when I'm not grinding tape and and coming up with uh, with anti Big Twelve football takes. I got into the good place. Okay, I think I need to put that on my list too. Do you, dude, it's so it's like 22 minute episodes. If you've not watched the Good Place, the it's a loaded cast, uh, super funny show. Uh, Kristen Bell's in it. Uh, Ted Danson's in it. Really, really strong show. Super funny. I enjoyed it. Good to hear. Um, I've also been doing classic movies, though not so much lately. Mm. Um, that's helped. Like, I feel like if there's a benefit to this, it's I'm able to consume a bunch of content that I should sort of have in my repertoire. You know? Repertoire. Oh, my God. Repertoire. So oh, my God. I hate you so much. I didn't know you were a repertoire guy. I'm rethinking this entire podcast. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it gives us an opportunity like to, to go back through the arts, and, and now I know some of the movie references that people make, which is good. I'm not just a football Excellent. guy. I love that. Right. Um, all right, well, we're going to wrap this up, and uh, we will talk to you guys later in the week. 
hopefully with something more of a uh, have more of a legitimate format <laughs> um, not counting on it than, than what we did this week but times are a little bit tough right now but uh we appreciate everybody listening subscribe rate and review wherever you get your podcasts on the blue wire network and we'll talk to you guys later When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.